going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. On this edition of the Calgary Today podcast, we talk the ever-changing landscape of mobile phones and data. Also, Calgary police issue a warning about the cost of retail crime. And the Calgary arts community now has a new diversity report to dive more into the demographics they're now working with. But we open up things today with Calgary's economy and whether we should be moderating our expectations going into the next couple of years. All right, let's get right to it. The Conference Board of Canada projecting an economic slowdown for the Western provinces over the next year or two. But weren't we all, aren't we already going through one is the question. Jane McIntyre is a senior economist at the Conference Board of Canada. Jane, thanks so much for the time today. Well, thank you for having me. What would you glean from these numbers overall when it comes to Calgary specifically? Um, well, um, it's interesting. Uh, over the last uh, few years, or you know, sort of five years ago and stuff, uh, Calgary was used to very strong growth. It was an upturn in the uh, energy industry, and uh, you know, things were uh, ticking along. Four and a half, five percent growth, and and all of a sudden, uh, you know, we we hit a recession where oil prices went down uh, last year. We're back to that sort of world of uh, high growth. We had four point nine percent in Calgary last year. So this year, next year, we're expecting sort of more moderate growth. So two and a half, two point three percent growth. So it's not to say that things are bad. It's not to say that things are horrible. It's just a, it's just a much more moderate growth than the city is used to. It probably surprises a lot of people to think that the economy here did grow by nearly 5%. Where did that come from? Uh, a lot of it came from uh, pent-up demand. So we saw like in- industries like the retail trade, uh, which grew uh, by more than 6% last year. Uh, it was a return to sort of some investment in the oil industry, which uh, helped drive like manufacturing and the primary uh, utilities industries. Um, we saw a little bit of return to construction growth. Um, so, you know, in the years of 2015-2016, um, you know, the housing market in particular, which had been like growing gangbusters. So I think in uh, maybe 2014 was sort of its peak year, and there were 17,000, uh, over 17,000 housing starts. Well, by 2016, that had dropped to 9,200. So quite a considerable change in, 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 in that sort of um, sector. Last year, we see starts to, start to, um, to rise again as people become more confident, as builders start to see, you know, uh, um, some more, more movement in the economy and stuff like that. Um, starts uh, tipped off over 11,000 units last year. So, you know, still much lower than they had been, but definitely um, a moving back towards, a, you know, a, um, an upward movement, I guess. Do you get the feeling at all that this is a new norm in a sense? Or is, are we bound by these boom and bust cycles and we're just happening to be in a bit of a, a moderation point in that cycle? Um, I would, uh, you're right, you know, Calgary has always been sort of a boom bust based on the energy industry, um, energy sector. And so uh, I do think that, you know, for the next few years, at least, we're probably going to be in that sort of moderate range of growth. Um, There's a few things that are sort of happening now. So um, as I mentioned, like housing starts and stuff has started to go up. 
but at the same time, we've got high inventory. So let's put a bit of a halt on sort of staying where we are in that level of housing starts uh, um, for the next couple of years. Um, on the business side of uh, investment and stuff, you're going to get some energy investment, but um, and there's also non-energy investment. You know, you have some healthcare, care, uh, the Calgary Cancer Center, you've got some road construction, you've got, you know, things like that, the crosstown development. Um, but on the same by the same token, you've got a downtown core that has a huge high record high vacancy rate. So sitting over 20 percent. So, you know, there's not going to be, uh, you know, any uh, call for <laughs> huge amounts of office construction over the next few years as well. So those things will sort of temper the economy. Um, but at the same time, you're you're as I said, you know, you're 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 moving uh, upward. Um, it's just at a slower pace. The other thing that will hold the economy back, I think, is is um, a bit, you know, as for the whole province, it's the pipeline constraints, uh, uh, you know, uh, so which is causing a bit of a um, a difference between or, or a delay, I guess, in uh, rising oil prices for like Western producers. So mm-hmm. until we get sort of that pipeline. Um, built up over the next few years, you're going to see that's also going to constrain growth a bit as well. I was going to say, what kind of impact or are you even able to measure that? Uh, we heard from the province yesterday that it was costing this this province in particular about $80 million a day. Um, but can you put that into perspective of you know our growth and how this is actually how much this is actually impacting us uh, in in on a national scale, maybe? Uh, well, I don't have an exact number for you, but um, I will. You know, I will say that we're probably at a at a peak right now of of, of the gap between the two, sort of the uh, West Texas, the WTI price and the Western Canadian Select price. So I think in October the gap was about fifty dollars, which is which is quite substantial. For us, I think it's going to be another probably two or three years before we see that sort of gap get back to its more and more normal levels. And and until you know we see expansion on the pipelines and um, and there's still uncertainty in that too. So um, it's that is sort of one of the bigger questions. And I don't really have a, a dollar value for you right now or a growth mm-hmm. value for you, but um, it's definitely a downward um, concern. One of the things when I'm talking to economists here is how uh, the jobless rate can really play a bit of a factor. How many people are working? Those kinds of stats that get released uh, through StatsCan or wherever the case may be, they tend to be a bit of a harbinger for where the economy sits. And one of the notes that I saw in your report is uh, job growth is actually expected to be at the very least decent here in Calgary and in Alberta. Can you expand on that a little bit? Um, well, again, you know, as you went through the recession in 2015 and 16, um, you know, the jobs started to disappear, people started to leave. Um, and so what we're seeing now, last year, the job growth in Calgary uh, reached 3%. You know, it, it, that was quite quite a good year. Um, so again, this year and next year, as, as, as with the entire economy, we're going to expect to see much more moderate employment growth, but still reaching 1%, which is still decent. It's still um, a movement in the right direction. The one thing that we... Um, the one thing that Calgary also um, has going for it is um, population growth is still moving up quite um, steadily. 
uh, through the recession, I think it still managed to reach like over 2% a year. And so we're expecting just under 2% for the next few years as well. And again, why that, while that seems like it's slowing and, and um, moving downward, if you compare that to the rest of Canada, you know, the, the, those are envious rates kind of thing. So as those people slowly move back into the, into the economy and to, um, you know, into helping um, um, fill jobs and stuff like that, we're going to see a decline in the unemployment rate over the next couple of years for the region. One of the things that I've been uh, arguing, I guess, over the last couple of years in particular is is that it was less, uh, and I'm not trying to discredit the, the impacts that it has had on us, but the recession helped us maybe moderate a little bit. And what ended up happening is you instead of seeing five or six or seven percent growth it's it was eventually going to go back down to something more uh in that two to three percent range is this sort of uh, am i wrong in assuming or when as i read through the report that that's sort of the the expectation that you maybe are painting for calgarians is to maybe moderate your uh, expectations a little bit yeah, I think so. You know, uh, you know, as people in Calgary are used to that sort of four and a half, five, like they lived it for such a long time, and and so all of a sudden they they're they're in this new normal of two and a half to three percent, and um, and it seems like things are really slow for them. But if you know, as again, as I say with the with the uh, population, you know, like if we look at the rest of Canada, like people, um, you know, look at two and a half percent, and they think, oh, this is obvious, this is great, this is this fantastic growth for us. You know, there's some uh, areas of Canada that would uh, cry for two and a half percent growth. Um, so I think, you know, it's just, it, you, I think you're right. I think it's a matter of sort of readjusting and, and, um, and, and, and realizing that uh, this is sort of where we are for the next little while. Jane McIntyre, the Senior Economist at Conference Board of Canada. Thanks so much for the time, Jane. Uh, Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll dive a little bit more into this discussion. A few texts that have apparently caught the ire of a few people. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Couple of texts during that last interview. Brad says the only reason it seemed like we had growth over the last few years is because the government went into debt by $10 billion or so per year. It was all artificial growth. Kay also weighing in saying what we dropped, minus 10 and gained two. Are we no, we are nowhere in growth over where we were. False positive, isn't it? Kind of, sort of, almost. It is a false positive. Now, that being said, there was still that expectation that we were going to be growing by five or six or seven or eight percent year over year over year. We, there's, I'm not saying everybody, but certainly those friends that I have in the energy industry in particular were living on the high hog thinking that these boom times are going to last forever. And they were the first ones to lose their jobs. They were the first ones to cry wolf thinking that it's all government's fault or it's all this or all that. And they don't realize that the five to six to seven percent growth wasn't going to be sustainable over the long term. Is two and a half percent or three percent the new norm? Maybe that's something we should be looking at even from a government perspective. I really listened with some interest to uh, Trevor Toome was on with Rob Breckenridge earlier today because I tend to not focus on the past, especially given that we have a provincial and federal election coming up. And there's going to be some tough questions that need to be asked of every party. 
What are you going to do to cut spending? What are you going to do to save some cash? Those are the first two questions that should be asked. We should be talking about this in the future tense to make sure that things go well in the future, not talking about this in the past and get caught digging in our heels about it. This is what Trevor Toome had to say to Rob Breckenridge earlier today. There's multiple options available to Alberta to address this kind of fiscal gap that we see. And you can find options both on the revenue side and on the spending side. For example, if we had taxes at a level comparable to British Columbia, uh, also a low tax jurisdiction along with Alberta and Saskatchewan, then we wouldn't have uh, a deficit at all today. Over time, though, the amount of increased revenue to address the full fiscal gap will be it will need to be even larger than that. But on the spending side, we do have per-person levels of spending in Alberta that exceed any of the other three large provinces of B.C., Ontario, or Quebec. And so if we spent in more in line with those provinces, we also wouldn't have a deficit today. So, th- so there are lots of options available uh, to address these long-run challenges, but they're not going anywhere. And the longer that we wait to... Um, to actually pursue some fiscal adjustment, the bigger and more difficult those adjustments will need to be in the future. Ding, 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 ding. We've got a winner. I couldn't agree more with that sentiment. Realistically, we have to talk about this in terms of the future. What are we going to do to make sure that we are not just sitting there spinning our tires and pushing things off to later. And one of the first things that I, I found interesting about this morning, to hearing about a report into healthcare spending in this country, and shockingly, Alberta leads the way in healthcare spending. How do we fix that problem? Should be question number one for taxpayers, for us as Albertans heading into the next election. Lots to digest, I know. We'll talk a lot more about all kinds of different stuff coming up. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. It's a new promotion aimed at taking a bit of a chunk out of the three main players in the mobile sphere. Freedom Mobile launching a 100 gigabytes of extra data to new and existing customers, provided they sign up for a two-year plan with a new handset for $60 a month. To wade in on this, we bring in from Mobile Syrup a senior editor, Igor Bonifacic. Igor, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks for having me, Joe. When you look at the mobile atmosphere, I guess, here in this country, and you have players like Freedom Mobile throwing 100 gigs of data out there for the average consumer, what do you glean from this? Are we starting to maybe see a little bit of a war happening as, as the companies try to figure out you know, the best space for themselves? Yeah, so I think this is, it's interesting because this one comes uh, a year after Freedom Mobile unleashed the so-called big gig pricing war. Um, and for those who don't remember, last year, uh, Freedom Mobile was out of the gate with, uh, it was a 10 gigabyte offer for uh, $60 a month. Um, and that kind of changed, at least for a week, the mobile landscape in Canada because we saw the big three, uh, offer similar plans, right? Uh, where if you brought your own device, you could get these 10 gigabytes for relative to the Canadian market was extremely reasonable. You know, some people have plans where they're getting like one gigabyte for $90 a mm-hmm. month. Um, but relative, you know, to the rest of the world, this was quite a modest plan. And so now we have Freedom Mobile um, doing this 100 gigabytes of bonus data. And it's important, I think, to just explain it for a bit, which is, you know, most carriers 
charge overage rates if you go over your data plan. So, for instance, in the case of Rogers and Fido, um, you pay $100 for one extra gigabyte of data a month if you don't uh, buy a top-up before you go over. Um, and so this leads to really outrageous uh, data f- or data overage fees. Um, Freedom Mobile, conversely, they just throttle you, at least previously um, or outside of these uh, this bonus data plan, they throttle you to 3G speeds, which essentially just means your phone if you're using it to access the internet, it's a lot slower. Um, here, it's at full LTE, so it's faster, and you have 100 gigabytes of bonus data until you leave the company. Um, now, whether this is going to change the landscape, I, I don't think so, if only because, uh, you know, by one estimate in 2016, these companies, the big three, that is, they earn something like $1 billion off of overage fees. I think for them, like, this is really like a Pandora's box that they don't want to open like they did last year. And, you know, I think it's pretty it's pretty interesting to see, like, since the big gig came out and, you know, for a week they offered these plans, we haven't really seen that come back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, you know, for Freedom, it kind of um, bit them in the butt when they offered that plan because they didn't actually come out of that the winner. It was actually Bell who came out on top because one, they have like a network that spans the entire country is among the fastest, um, and some say the fastest, and they had the infrastructure in place to take on customers that wanted to switch. Um, so whether like the big thing here was like had Freedom Mobile offered unlimited data, which is something that is like unheard of in Canada, mm-hmm. that would have been like the tipping point. This is more of a half measure, I would say. It's interesting that way when you mentioned the fact that, oh, it was a year ago. Is uh, the, the memories of the consumer are pretty short at the end of the day. That being said, the consumer is also looking for, as you mentioned, broader coverage. And that's probably the one thing that's getting in the way of maybe putting up a big fight against the big three. Yeah, it's exactly as you say. Like, at the end of the day, Freedom Mobile is not a national carrier. It only operates in Ontario, Alberta, and BC. Um, and, you know, granted, it does have the backing of Shaw, but, like, to get that infrastructure in place is one expensive, and then more expensive is the spectrum, um, which, you know, is what all of this technology is built on. And until, you know, next year, there's going to be another spectrum auction. But it's like up in the air whether like Shaw will be able to put up the money to win that auction, right? Like it is, you 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 got to imagine like this is ground that Bell, Telus, and Rogers don't want to give up, right? And they have really deep coffers, right? Like their war chest is compared to like I imagine it's you know compared to Sh- even Shaw, it's quite substantial. Um, and there's also that fact of like once your industry is quote unquote disrupted by a new entrant, like you become wise to that, right? Like you do everything you can to stop them from disrupting your industry again. Is this something that's a good thing though in the scheme of trying to change the the momentum, I guess, in a sense, because Canadians are looking stateside and going, why am I seeing ads on American TV for, you know, low, low rates? And here I am paying, you know, $100 for what seems like a simple bill. Does this maybe make a move or try to make a move or at least or start the conversation again more than anything else? 
Yeah, certainly. Like every, like, you know, it's better that Freedom Mobile try than not try at all, right? Like at, at the end of the day, like I think we're going to see like, the sad fact of it is, is it's going to take longer than, you know, a year or maybe even five or 10 years, but it's all like a step in the correct direction. Now, the one thing that I would warn about is like, you know, think about who this company is owned by, like Shaw, they're not in it necessarily to be a T-Mobile, right? Like they've been very clear that they, you know, they want to become an incumbent, right? Like at the end of the day, that's what every company wants, Mm -hmm. you know, when they disrupt the market is they want to become an incumbent because then they can dictate the kind of rules of the market. Um, So, you know, like is Freedom Mobile slash Shaw technically like the savior of Canadian telecom? I'm not so sure, but in the, like in the interim, like, these things like the big gig and this 100 gigabytes of bonus data, it's all like a positive because it's stuff that is so rare and like few and far between in the Canadian market. Like most people, when like they pay for overages, they're paying about like um, it's about one gigabyte for $100, right? Like mm-hmm. that is more or less highway robbery. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you like, you know, a gigabyte is not, by no means is one gigabyte of wireless data worth a hundred dollars. Right. So it is a positive move. Is it necessarily the, like what like kind of pushes us over the cliff into a better like consumer world? I'm not so sure. Igor, I appreciate the time today. No, thank you so much for having me. Igor Bonifacic is the senior editor at mobile syrup weighing in on freedom mobile and their hundred gig plan. For data overages, certainly and actually weirdly as that went on, my my phone went off saying, hey, you're in 95% of your data usage, to which I go, okay, well, luckily I'm in the market for a new phone. So I wonder, I'm not going to tell you who I'm with, but I might have to maybe venture elsewhere. At least look into it. It's worth a while. I've talked to a lot of people and yes, you have to factor in the coverage area. And that's the one issue with some of these smaller companies, Freedom's an example, is they don't reach everywhere. And that's the challenge when you live in Alberta, which is a mostly rural province, is if you don't have data down the road or in downtown Calgary, you're not going to get it. So as Igor said, as much as some of these deals might be enticing, the challenge becomes, can they compete with the big three when it comes to coverage? And that's the issue that consumers are facing right now we'll continue this discussion and much more still to come here on calgary today on 770 chqr i don't know if you've heard the story at all coming out of lethbridge but seven youths i believe is the number of kids who have been charged in connection with a cell phone theft ring and it's something that we're seeing more and more of is there's an organized crime aspect to and it's not gangs but it's groups of individuals who are trying to go after retail outlets and so city police were joined by some of their counterparts like lethbridge police edmonton police and rcmp to wave a flag on the issue and joining us now from the calgary police services constable kevin anderson Uh, constable first off 
for consumers who might be listening? Any advice for those trying to keep their heads on swivels, uh, swivels as they're heading around uh, doing their, their Christmas shopping? To speak to organized retail crime, and, I, and that's really my expertise um, here, being part of being in the organized retail crime team, um, we're seeing uh, multiple levels of, of, of different types of crime in this specific crime type. So along the lines of um, everything from grab and runs, personal thefts where they're stealing just from uh, the store shelf to credit card frauds and um, all the way up to, you know, extreme cases, robberies. So I think if, if we're going to pass along a message to the to the citizens that are out shopping, especially during Black Friday and the Christmas season, you know, really look around, be aware of your surroundings, um, what's happening around you. It's one of those things, too, I know this time of year that you guys are, are try to be as vigilant as possible when it comes to uh, just the retailers themselves and trying to give them some best practices because, I mean, every year we get the same message, but at the same time, uh, the, the criminals are also changing things up and trying to make it a little more difficult. Well, and, and what's, what's really awesome is that uh, the Calgary Police Service has a great relationship with our, um, basically our community stakeholders, our retailers, our loss prevention uh, community. I, I meet personally with uh, a large group um, about four times a year, regardless of what the, the shopping season is. And we discuss best practices. We're constantly discussing offenders, um, how to get ahead of crime trends. And uh, earlier today, I actually had an opportunity to, to sit with my, my peer group, my other law enforcement um, agency members. And Lethbridge is, is somebody that I work with closely. Edmonton, I work very close with uh, Constable Ray Wilson up in Edmonton. Uh, Airdrie RCMP and, and Federal Policing, we work closely with them as well, with the Cross Iron Mills and some of the other ties to to the larger um, investigations that, that get handed off to other agencies. And really coming together as a team and looking at our best practices, we use, we're really leveraging that technology, um, some of the online stuff that we, that we do with our retailers. So regardless of crime trend, we're trying to stay ahead of it as, as law enforcement, as a, as a province. What's the challenge in especially the online sphere for you guys? Because as you mentioned uh, earlier today, is there's there's that uh, effort, I guess, by the criminal to get the product for free for them so that they can sell it at a cheaper rate. But there's just so many different avenues that they can go through to get that product to the unsuspecting consumer. Yeah, so what's nice is that both Edmonton Police and Calgary Police, I know for sure, have online uh, stolen property units that are very specific to uh, hunting down the criminals that are using the online components. Um, but some of the other types of crime that, that's online, um, gift card frauds and those types of things, uh, they're, they're a little harder to address. Uh, the stores are vigilant and they, they keep us up to date. When it comes to heading off uh, some of the other um, distribution methods of some of the stolen property, um, we really rely heavily on the consumer and our partner agencies uh, and and our stakeholders, really our, our loss prevention community, to get back to us as well and say, hey, this just doesn't look quite right. Um, you know, and give us that tip and, and tell us, because we can't, we can't be everywhere. It's such a large market online, and sometimes things 
that look maybe not quite right, we look into it and they are. And other things that uh, are illegitimate really lead into bigger investigations. And our big message today was to to the consumer to be vigilant, be aware. Uh, if a deal looks too good to be true, it is uh, likely. And you can you can notify us. If we look into it and it actually was legit, then you know what? No, no harm, no foul. But if it wasn't, then you may have given us a some information that leads to a much larger investigation. It's got to be a difficult sell this time of year because everybody's going bargain hunting. And if they see something and it sounds too good to be true, it's really tempting uh, not to buy into uh, that possibility that, hey, it is going to be uh, the greatest deal of Christmas of all time. Well, and I and I challenge people to close their eyes and think of the old uh, cartoon where there's the, the kind of the spy versus spy where the guy opens his jacket and says, "Hey, you want to buy a watch?" Mm-hmm. And most of us turn away and say, "No, thanks." It, it's kind of like that situation and um, making that decision that do I really? Yeah, I'm getting a good deal now, but a is the person I'm buying from gonna you know potentially if they're a criminal, are they gonna rip me off? Am I about to lose the money and the product? Worse, are they violent, um, drug-driven, or is this truly, you know, the deal of the century here? Um, I think people really need to step back and ask, and are you going to be paying for that product for another couple of years when retailers have had to push their, their prices up just to cover costs and cover uh, stop loss? There's a lot to uh, to dissect as a consumer this holiday season. And Constable, I appreciate the time and, and the insight and getting a little bit of a grasp on things from a criminal standpoint. Well, thank you for taking the time. Does Calgary's arts community reflect the diversity of our city? Now, a new report from Calgary Arts Development dives into the demographic profile of the nonprofit organizations that they fund. Joining us now is President and CEO of Calgary Arts Development, Patty Pond. Uh, Patty, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for having me. When you look at this report and you look through all the stats and all the findings, what stands out most for you? Um, well, I think that we are a city that is uh, Canada's third most diverse city, and we are also one of Canada's youngest cities, if you look at average age or me- median age or those kinds of things. And I think what the report has told us is that, from Calgary Arts Development's perspective, in the uh, sector, the portion of the sector that we work with most closely, and usually that's through grant investments, um, we're not quite as reflective or as representative of those those two facets as an example of um, who our city is today. And so uh, we wanted to ask that question to get some sense because I think sometimes we'll often make um, generalizations or uh, assumptions, and we didn't want to be making assumptions. We are uh, a public agency that stewards public dollars in support of the public good. So we look at the role and the value that the arts bring to all Calgarians, not some Calgarians. And so this was just one way for us to explore that more deeply. Now that you have the information in front of you, you can kind of start to figure out what exactly you can do to kind of bridge that gap. What do you see as maybe a big barrier that uh, you're facing in terms of getting those who are a little bit more of an inclusive uh, perspective in the arts? 
and I think you, you really hit on something there, Joe, when, when it's about what Calgary Arts Development can do. This report is certainly um, really uh, 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 serving a number of things, and one of them for sure is about what we can do. You know, I'm, I'm always very, very mindful that when organizations like ours publish reports like this, that it can often be seen as we're finger-pointing, right, mm-hmm. or we're looking to blame somebody, or we're looking to see what someone's doing wrong. And this isn't it at all for us. That was not our desired outcome. Our desire was to say, look, we asked some questions and we are noticing this. And so then for the very things I said to you earlier about who we are as a city in 2018 and beyond, as public stewards, we have to ask ourselves those questions. And I don't want to be someone who just points a finger and says, okay, well, it's your problem and fix it. I want to be an agency that works with our organizations and our community and our sector to say, okay, well, if this is something we're noticing, then how do we make it more reflective of our city? How do we highlight the ways in which many, many organizations are working to be more inclusive and even above and beyond inclusion to create greater sense, a greater sense of belonging between Calgarians? Um, we have a wonderful coach. Her name is Jan Derbyshire, and she talks about inclusion is when you get invited to the party, and belonging is when you get asked to dance and we want to ask Calgarians to dance with each other that's what we believe the arts do and that arts organizations can really help facilitate and that's where this report is rooted it's a really great analogy that way and so the question becomes is it a matter of attracting more artists to come to you or is it a matter of fostering more artists from younger ages to learn hey they should come to you down the line I think it's um, what we're discovering more and more is that we all fall on a kind of spectrum, right? And so there isn't really one answer or one solution. What I do hope is that for Calgary Arts Development, we start to see where maybe we have our own blind spots, whether it's through our grant investment systems or the way in which we communicate or how we feel like we're getting the word out or finding other ways to engage with artists. So... It's as much about trying to raise awareness in our own organization and look inside our own shop as it is to ask um, the very community that we work with most closely to ask themselves that same question. And then together we're going to figure out um, a way that is, you know, back to belonging and, and, and uh, having the dance more than it is about just getting invited to the party. So from this point, where do you see sort of the next step, I guess, in the evolution of, of your organization? Um, well, certainly the, the um, distribution of this particular report really for us was about creating a kind of baseline. So it informs us about where we are as at this point in time. And then I think for us um, in particular, uh, questions about how we create greater sense of belonging, how artists can be at the table when we talk about and find solutions to connecting us as a city um, are all part and parcel of what we hope our work and the work of the very artists that we get to connect to every day um, will start to manifest more and more and hopefully become more present in our community. Some fascinating findings in this demographic profile done by Calgary Arts Development. She is Patty Pond, the president and CEO. Uh, Patty, thank you so much for the time this afternoon. Thanks again, Joe. 
Just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon. 